0: Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the ancient gospel lesson for this Sunday, 14th chapter of John, especially the 26th verse. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, you the 47 high school graduates of Emmanuel Church and Sunday School, And you, the listeners of our radio audience, oh, it is nice, isn't it, on this sunshiny Sunday to be here in God's house? And radio listeners, it is nice also to have you worshiping with us on this beautiful day. Your calendar, Christian friends, tells you that today is Pentecost Sunday. You may say, what does that word Pentecost mean? Well, it happens to be a Greek word. It is the numeral 50. Today is the 50th day after Easter, and you recall that when Jesus ascended to heaven, it was on the 40th day, that he told the disciples to go back to Jerusalem, and he said, you wait there because you are going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire not many days from now. So after the ascension, the disciples went back to Jerusalem and they waited for that baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it was on this day, on the 50th day after Easter, when Jesus fulfilled that promise and had the Father and himself send the Holy Spirit. This is the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. His coming was attended by three tremendous miracles, we are told in the Word of God. First, in the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are told that there was a tremendous sound as of a rushing mighty wind, it awoke in the neighborhood. It awoke all the individuals wondering what was going on. The next thing that occurred was this. There were tongues like as of fire, and those tongues separated and rested upon the heads of the 120, including the disciples who had gathered together on that morning. And then there was another attendant miracle, and that was this that the disciples and those groups began to speak in foreign languages languages that they had never learned These were the three miracles that attested the coming or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you recall that on this day centuries ago, the Apostle Peter got up and preached a sermon and 3,000 souls became Christians. And so we call Pentecost the day when the Holy Spirit came, the birthday of the Christian church, when the church in one day grew by 3,000 souls. Jews who embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, that's the one meaning of today, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birthday of the Christian Church, and then today, this is another day for us at Emmanuel. And as you, my young friends, know, this is the baccalaureate service for you. You have come here to God's house for a message uh, from the Word of God in view of your graduation from high school. You know, the two rather go together. In view of the fact of what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in the upper room in our text, we know this, that Jesus told the disciples in the upper room that he was going away and then he was going to send the Holy Spirit and he said the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And young friends, then this Pentecost Sunday means this to you. Pentecost calls on you, the senior graduates of our church and Sunday school, to thank the Holy Spirit for coming, the Holy Spirit who comes to teach you all things. And you may say, what is meant by that? Christ said the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. That means all things that are necessary, all things that are needful, all things that are required by you for a full and complete life. That the Holy Spirit will teach you everything that you need to know so that he would promise you and ensure you and guarantee you a life really worth living a life most satisfying the kind of a life my young friends that if you had to live it over again and you live it according to what the holy spirit teaches you you would do it all over just the very same way But you may say to me this morning, you mean that Pentecost calls upon us, that we are to give our thanks and our appreciation and our gratitude to the Holy Spirit because He teaches us all things and He will do so, guaranteeing you a life that is worth living. You may say, oh, I am sure that the Holy Spirit will fail in something that I need for a satisfying, for a tremendous, full, and abundant life. I would like to assure you this morning, young friends, that you can, on this day, thank the Holy Spirit who comes to teach you all things. And that means everything that is necessary for a full and satisfying and complete life because He will never fail you in teaching you those things that are necessary. You may say to me this morning, what does the Holy Spirit really teach us to assure us and to promise us and to guarantee us a life worth living? Well, I'd like to mention in the first place this. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, He is the one who teaches you how to get rid of sin. You may say, well, who is the Holy Spirit? Who are you talking about? Well, I realize there's a lot of hazy thinking about the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity. If we bear in mind the Holy Spirit is the one who makes Christians. Now, it was in the plan of God that Christ should come into the world and fulfill his mission. He was to die on the cross. He was to arise from the dead. He was to ascend into heaven. And then when the grand work of Jesus was completed in the plan of the Heavenly Father, then the Holy Spirit was to come. Now, young friends, this was not the first coming of the Holy Spirit, but he was coming now to enlarge on the work of Christ. The time had come when Jesus had told the disciples that they were to be his witnesses. Now world missions were to begin. And it started mission work in Jerusalem that day when 3,000 Jews awaiting the assurance of Messiah were convinced that Christ was the Son of God by the power of the Spirit and the Christian church was born. The Holy Spirit has given us the Word of God and He teaches you, my young friends, in the Word of God, how to get rid of sin. And you may say to me, well, how do you get rid of sin? What do you do about a guilty conscience? What do you do about an anguished soul? What do you do about a conscience that torments you when you know you have done wrong? How in the world do you get rid of it? Well, the wisdom of the world has several answers, doesn't it? One thing the wisdom of the world says is this. The world says, when your conscience bothers you, when does it really occur? And you and I, of course, would have to say, well, our conscience bothers us after we have done something wrong. Well, then the wisdom of the world says the way to get rid of a guilty conscience is to don't stop doing that which you think is wrong. Keep on doing it. The only time conscience troubles you is when you stop. And you and I may say that's the wisdom of the world, but there comes a time when you and I must stop. Because if we don't stop doing that which is wrong, We realize that we begin to kill our conscience and our conscience starts to die. And oh God, if it should ever raise its head again, when conscience troubles a man, he is miserable. And we say the wisdom of the world's no good on that. When the world says just keep on sinning and forget all about it, you and I say that doesn't tell us how to get rid of sin, how to get rid of a torturous conscience. Well, the wisdom of the world comes back and says to tell you how to get rid of it, just reason it away. If you were reading Life Magazine, the last issue, it tells how again on some of our campuses, young boys and girls are kicking over the traces. Oh, let's not forget the hundreds of thousands on our college campuses that are still living moral lives, but those who choose to live together without the right of marriage, and are saying, the entire moral scheme's got to be changed, where girls unashamedly live with a man even though he's not her husband, and they say, this is the new morality in the world, the wisdom of the world says, uh, again, the way you do that, you rationalize and you reason that there is no moral code. And today the world tries to tell you there isn't any moral code, that God never laid down any rules of right and wrong. But I am sure that you have sense enough to know this, that when you override the moral code of God and act like it doesn't exist, reason doesn't bring peace to a conscience that troubles, does it? It still is torturous. It still damns. It still tells you and me that we are out of fellowship with God. Well, then there are those in the wisdom of the world that says, well, the way you get rid of a guilty conscience, the way you get rid of sin, is this, that you uh, try to atone for it yourself. If you've done an evil deed, try to do a good deed in return. Do you remember one day four years ago when you were back in catechism? I told you about white marbles and about black marbles. And I said, some people think that they can balance their lives by letting a good deed cancel a bad one. And I told you to try the experiment of taking some white marbles and some black marbles in one day and whenever you think a thought that just isn't too good that you take a black marble and put it down in one of your pockets and whenever you think something that's nice you put a white marble and try it for a day and I told you that if you tried it and I have tried it that at the end of every day you will find there are more black marbles and there are white marbles in your pocket. And again, you say, how in the world can I ever atone and make up for my own guilt? And you find it doesn't work that way. But the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, tells you, my young friend, how to get rid of sin. Do you know how you get rid of it? Let me put it this way. He tells you the way to get rid of sin, a guilty conscience, is give it away. You've got to give it away. Isn't that tremendous? And you say give it away. The Holy Spirit says the way to get rid of a guilty conscience that's torturing you is to give it away. You say, give it away. Yes, give it to Jesus. That's the answer of the Word of God. Give it to Christ. I lay my sins on Jesus. That's the only answer. That really works because Christ, you know, came into the world and he took that guilty conscience of yours and of mine and the guilty consciences of the entire human race. He took our guilt and our punishment and he went to the cross and as to God and to man, he bore in his body the eternal damnation for you and me and he says, give me your guilty conscience, lay it on me. And thank God when the Holy Spirit teaches you, my young friends, that the way to get rid of guilt, the way to get rid of a torturous conscience is to lay it on Jesus, give it away. Then life becomes worth living because then you've got the peace of God. You know that you are forgiven. You know your soul is whiter than snow in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know that you are saved. The Holy Spirit deserves your praise today on this Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came into the world to teach you all things. And may I assure you, He teaches you everything that is needful, everything that is necessary, everything that is required, that yours can be a life worth living. And I challenge you, show me a man or woman who has laid his guilt on Christ, who has come to peace with God and knows that he's saved. And I'll show you a man that is living the life that is worth living, that's the abundant life. That's the complete life. That's the satisfying life. My prayer for you on this Pentecost Sunday and this baccalaureate is this, that you will say, starting today I will thank and show my appreciation and my gratitude to the Holy Spirit who came on Pentecost, who teaches me all things, assuring me and guaranteeing me That when I learn from him, then life becomes worth living. Then you're going to thank him and you're going to thank your parents for a tremendous heritage that is yours. Do you realize, boys and girls, what it means that you've come out of a Christian home? Do you realize what it means that you've come out of a home where you've had the privilege of coming to church and hearing the word of God that the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, can come and tell you what to do when down inside of you your sins begin to trouble you and your conscience simply panics you and you are afraid, ought this not be the time when you will say to your parents, I thank you, father and mother, mom and dad, that I was reared in the Christian home. You'll never be together like you are this morning, will you? Here again, soon... Again, the final graduations are going to be, you're going to go out into the business world, some of you are going to be married, you're going to go to work, some of you are going to war, some of you are going to Vietnam, some of you may not come back. You may say to yourself, is that the life worth living? The Holy Spirit says he will teach you all things and when he has taught you how to get rid of guilt, how to get rid of a guilty conscience, then even though it may be Vietnam, My young friends, I hope all of you come back. But if you don't, know this, that it's the life worth living. Because when you have Jesus Christ and you have given him your guilty conscience and your sins, you are a saved soul. That's the finest life that I know of. This is Pentecost Sunday and it's also your baccalaureate. And again, Pentecost calls to you and me because this is the birthday of the Christian church. This is the time when the Holy Spirit, God, the third person, came into the world to make Christians. And again, Jesus says, he will teach you all things. Oh, how thankful you ought to be to the Holy Spirit who teaches you all things. You may say, what do you mean all things? Well, he not only teaches you all things that are necessary and that are needful and that are required, again, for a complete life as regarding what to do about your guilt to give it away. But he also teaches you and he tells you just how important you are in the sight of God. Do you ever think of how important are you? What does the Holy Spirit say? Here were the apostles, important men. Well, remember we talked about the Twelve. Remember in Catechism... If you can think back, I gave you a little key to remember the names of the 12. I said, if you remember the street number 52 Mab Street, you'd remember the names of the 12. And the five, remember we said uh, five apostles whose names begin with the letter J, James the Greater, James the Last, John, Jude, and Judas. Judas also, Thaddeus, Levius, and the two, two Ps, Peter and Philip, and Mab, M-A-B, M for Matthew, A for Andrew, B for Bartholomew or Nathaniel, and S for Simon, and T for Thomas. Remember that? Well, of course, Judas was dead at this time. But look at the array of the disciples. There were four of them were fishermen, weren't they? James and John, Peter and Andrew. There was Simon, the politician, the zealot. And uh, there was Matthew, the old crooked uh, uh, publican and tax collector. Were they important? Did the Holy Spirit, why the Holy Spirit again was the one Jesus said he's going to empower you when I send the Spirit and you are to go out into all the world. You may say, how important am I? You are desperately important for this reason. There is a mission for your life that no other human being under the sun has. The Holy Spirit says to you this morning through his word, let your light shine not the other guys your light what does that mean your light that means that you are desperately important you are so important that listen, you have been given talents and abilities like no one else when the boyfriend tells you young ladies that there's no one quite like you he loves his mom he's telling you the truth there isn't anybody quite like you nor that boyfriend There isn't anybody quite like him. There are no two people alike in the world. God in his great plan, he has given you a mission and he has given me a mission. He has given you something that only you can do he has given me something that only i can do you may say well what is it well the holy spirit is glorious in this the holy spirit says this shall be the joy you discover it the holy spirit says let your life i have endowed you with talents and abilities i've got a job for you to do you are important i've got a mission that nobody can do quite like you you may say how do you find it out i'll tell you the secret you find it out by the fear of the lord not being afraid of the lord but again Being filled with reverence to God that in your life you will strive to do his will. That you will try to live close to your Christ and your Lord. You will try to do his will and you will say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I know we tell some. I know that uh, there was Saul of Tarsus on the way to Damascus when Christ stopped him and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And Jesus told him, you and I may not have a Damascus experience, but the Lord again, he has a mission then you and I in reverence we say I want to do his will I want to live close to him what do I like to do you know it's tremendous when you begin to find in life young men and young women what you like to do then you begin to say this is the vision This is what God has given me to do. And then, oh, does life become worth living when you say you've lived close to Christ. You say, I believe this is my mission. This is the reason why I have been given life. The joy of an abundant life because then you can say, where I am, that's where Jesus wants me to be and what I'm doing, that's what he wants me to be just the other oh it may not be a big thing just the other day I was going into just ready to go into a hospital room of the nurses I don't know her name she stopped me and she said uh, I couldn't go to church last Sunday and I stayed home and I listened and then she looked at me and she said I was going she said I wish to God that in my life at the end of it I could do half the good that we are doing when you come up here at the hospital and you visit these sick people who were afraid and who again, some never been in the hospital before, and I, it, oh, it made me feel good to think again. Oh, it's a small thing, isn't it, to win? You may say and win and see somebody that's sick who is fearful and who's afraid and who wonders, are they going to die? And yet again, it may be something small, but may I tell you this, even though you're missing a life, maybe something small, oh, it makes life worth living. Just within the last 10 days, I stood before a casket of a man. I didn't have his funeral. He didn't belong here. But I had called on him at the hospital, and one day he looked up at me, and he shook hands with me, and he said, Reverend, he says, I'll never forget you as long as I live. And I said, why? He said, you've taught me how to pray the Lord's Prayer. I never knew the Lord's Prayer before. And I have thought to myself, he just died within the last two weeks. I stood at his casket, and this thought came to me, if, if all my mission in life has been this, that I taught one man in telling him about Jesus how to pray the Lord's Prayer, I don't know how you feel about it, but that makes my life worth living. That somebody who came to know Jesus and could pray the Lord's Prayer can stand before him, and it was my privilege, a little thing, to teach him the lord's prayer oh listen i would pray for you today that you thank the holy spirit and the holy spirit jesus says he comes to teach you all things everything that you need for a life that's worth living that if you had it to live over again you say i'm going to live it the same way the holy spirit will teach you everything that is necessary because he will teach you how important you are in his sight and bring you that joy and then oh don't ever complain you may say oh why should my role my mission and I be a small one and somebody else's be so great you know I like the statement of one of the professors at Oxford in England who said this one of the old Mr. Chips type of professors he said you know he said when I walk down the campus here at Oxford University and I meet my students he says always tip my hands And somebody said to him, why, doctor, do you tip your hat? Because he said, I may be tipping my hat to a future prime minister of England. You don't know. You know, when Abraham Lincoln earned $50, you know what he did with the first $50 that he earned? He bought books because Lincoln said, I don't know what my mission in life is, but I'm going to study and I want to be ready. May I assure you, young friends, not one of you sitting there has any idea what your mission that the Holy Spirit has prepared you for may be but oh you may be astounded when the opportunity comes what God will accomplish in this world through you be ready It's the life worth living. The Holy Spirit, you say, Pentecost, God, the Holy Spirit who makes Christians. Jesus said this, He will teach you all things. And oh, you ought to be so grateful to know that the Holy Spirit came. The birthday of the church that He teaches you all things. Everything that you need to know that is necessary, that is required, that yours can be a full and complete life, a satisfying life. Yes, the more abundant life the life really worth living and you may say well doesn't the holy spirit fail in teaching me all that i need to know no he doesn't the holy spirit through the word of god he not only teaches you how to get rid of sin he not only teaches you just how important you are in god's sight but he also teaches you how you are to aim every day of your life you may say to me all right preacher you say that the Holy Spirit tells me uh, what I am to do each day of my life as I seek to unfold his will and to fulfill my mission. Uh, what should be the aim of my life? You know, say, here's Sunday, here I am in church, I'm going to think some thoughts, I will meet people, I'll talk to them, I will do certain things. What should be the aim of my life? Well, the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, he says something like this, Let your light, now this is your mission, shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. Would you remember this? The Holy Spirit says, Do you want to know how to aim every day of your life? Aim it this way. Aim it to glorify God. You may say, Now, give us a little a word for that. May I put it this way. The Holy Spirit says to you, Listen, son, listen, daughter. Will you start today and every day of your life? Will you live to glorify God? I mean by that, will you live in such a way that as you treat your fellow man, that others will have their tongues hanging out and they will drool to know the Jesus that you know because seeing Jesus in you, they will say, that Jesus must be tremendous. Does that make it plain? Do you think you could live that people with whom you come into contact, that their tongues will be hanging out in a real eagerness to know your God because they say, if that's the God that you worship, he must be wonderful. If that's the Jesus that you live for, he must be worth knowing. Can you make people drool? You know how to do it? Let me tell you how to do it. You're going to have to learn to get along with people jesus put it this way to love have you learned to love Do you know what it is to get along isn't that the trouble with our world today we don't know how to get along with one another one night i was sitting in my study it was about midnight my phone rang it was long distance it was a minister that called about 250 miles away a friend of mine and he said are you in bed and i said no i was just sitting here collecting some thoughts and he said "Uh, i'm miserable and i said what's wrong he said i had a vestry meeting tonight and he said things got pretty hot and he said i flew off the handle and i got mad and i picked up my hat and my coat and I went home i just slammed the door on my vestry meeting and i'm here and he said to me oh he says i'm so ashamed he said i don't think i can face my vestry again he said i just wanted to talk to you and I, i've called you I just wanted to tell somebody. And I let him talk, and he said, how can I face my vestry again? And I said, listen, son, I said, when you go back to that vestry again, you just go back and tell them you're sorry. uh, Tell them that, oh, this selfish pride of yours got the better of you, and you forgot how to treat people in love, and tell them you're sorry. I got a letter just last week from a woman from one of our churches, and she said, Do you know what our minister called our vestry in service last Sunday? And, of course, I did. said he called them a bunch of hypocrites. You know, it's sad. It's sad when I was district president or vice president, district president, about three months and vice president for a number of years. And congregations would send groups and pastors would come. You know, I found this out. That when people and pastors don't get along, it isn't that the guy can't preach. It isn't that the guy isn't trained or the congregation they can't get along. They don't know how to get along. Let me tell you this. In a Christian congregation, will you, my young friends, will you love? Your fellow man to the point that their tongues will hang out and they'll drool. But they love your Christ. It's rough to serve a congregation with all the inner things and all the organizations. Sure, uh, who's going to sing in the choir and who doesn't sing? Who gets to play the organ and who doesn't play the organ? Who is efficient and who is not? And then you and I with that little selfishness. We say, I'm going to demand my selfish right. What do I care about Christ? Then we're going out for revenge when we get our, oh, that little ego, that little pride injured. We don't care about the church and we don't care about Jesus Christ. We don't care about anybody. Isn't that about it? And you and I look out at the world and we say, what's wrong? I think it's, this day ought to be for you and for me and my young friends for every last one of you. Do you know how to love? Do you know how to be a doormat? Do you know how to take second place? Do you know how to take your pride and send it to hell and leave it there? Do you know how? When are you going to learn? When am I going to learn? Unless in your life and mine. When they spit in Jesus' face, he didn't spit back. Do you, do I? Too many of us spit back. Too many of us are more concerned about how our ego is rubbed and whether it's again elevated. When are you and I going to learn, the Holy Spirit says, glorify God. Have you learned to love, young friends? I hope you learn it. That you can love that people will have their mouths, their tongues hanging open and drew, because you have become a little Christ and I have don't be afraid of it isn't this what's wrong you and I fail to be little Christ we don't know what it is to be nice we always have the last word preachers and congregations alike that's what breaks them up are you willing to be a doormat then may I assure you, when you've learned to love and your Christ again becomes tremendous in the eyes of others, there's going to be the joy of living, you're going to win some souls for Jesus Christ. You know why it is that so many Christians have never won a soul? God forbid it's because they've never learned to love. They've never learned to take the perpendicular pronoun I and send it to hell. They have always put themselves above Jesus. They got their way. That was the big thing. I plead with you. God knows we don't want another Vietnam. But until we in the church can listen to the Holy Spirit, learn how to love, we're going to have one Vietnam right after another. Our hope lies right down here with you kids. I hope to God when the Holy Spirit says, will you do this? Will you learn to get along? Will you take second place? That's the life worth living. Then, you're going to say to yourself, I'll thank the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to fill my life with love. And I'm going to love that I hope people's tongues hang out in eagerness and they drool. That they may Learn to love the Jesus that I love. And you don't know, friends, when you do that, you know, it's a long road that doesn't have a curve. You know, the story is told a number of years ago, a wealthy family in England took their sons and their daughters, and they went on holiday, and they went out in the country. And uh, when they were out in the country on holiday, there was a pool, and they went swimming. One of their sons got in deep water, and he got cramps and he began to scream because he was drowning and there was no doubt about it, he was going down. And the rest of the family couldn't save him and they yelled for help. And the gardener's son heard it. He dove into the water and he pulled the kid out. And the wealthy son's father was so grateful he walked up to the garden and he said, Your son saved my boy's life. What, what can I do? And the gardener said, I'm a poor man. My boy has dreamed a dream of being a doctor, and I can't afford to educate him. And the wealthy father of the son that was rescued said, Shake hands. He said, I promise you, I'll educate him to be a doctor. Well, years came and years went. Winston Churchill became Prime Minister of England. Winston Churchill went to the Tehran Conference, and if you remember anything about history, he contracted pneumonia at the Tehran Conference. They thought he was going to die. When Winston Churchill was in jeopardy and life in danger, the king of England said, we shall get the finest doctor in all England to come and minister to Prime Minister Winston Churchill. That man's name that they said they wanted was Dr. Fleming. Well, Dr. Fleming, my young friends, is the man who discovered penicillin and developed it. What a blessing to the world has been penicillin, the antibiotic. Dr. Fleming was brought to Winston Churchill's bedside. Winston Churchill was dying. And by the power of God and by the skill of Dr. Fleming, the Prime Minister of England lived. And then we are told there came this day when Winston Churchill reached out and shook hands with Dr. Fleming. And he said something like this. He says, Rarely has one man, rarely, he says, has one man had the privilege of thanking one other man for having saved his life twice. You see, the young boy that was pulled out of that pool years before was Winston Churchill. The father, a wealthy man, showed kindness to the gardener's son and educated him in medicine. And in they again the turn of events. Because Winston Churchill's father had been kind, Dr. Fleming, who again discovered penicillin, was able to come and minister again and to save Winston Churchill's life a second time. Oh, there is a destiny that makes us brothers. None goes his way alone. All that we send into the lives of others comes back into our own. Someday, when you've learned to love, you may be in need. And I hope to God, if that day would come, that somebody that you've loved, that you were nice to, will remember and come back and be a friend. Oh, your eyes have seen the glory, young friends, you're Christians. Mine eyes have seen the glory. You can sing it on the glory road. You've seen Christ because on Pentecost, centuries ago this day, the Holy Spirit came and through the word of God, he has taught you how you can live a complete life, a full life. I love all of you, every one of you. God bless you, that yours will be a grand life. Satisfying that at the end of it, if God would let you live it over again, you'd say, Lord, I'd like to live it over again, because mine eyes have seen the glory. Amen. the peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.